Hello everyone and welcome to the Brussels Insider Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the School of Politics and International Relations here at UCD. A series of short interviews where we speak to people who work directly and indirectly with the EU and try to bring their world closer to you. everyone and welcome back to the Brussels Insider podcast. Today is unfortunately the final episode in the series but fear not because we think we saved one of our best episodes until last. Myself and Sarah were joined by Asita Kanko who is a member of the European Parliament elected in 2019 representing the new Flemish Alliance. We had a fascinating chat with Asita and got to hear her story which is quite remarkable and shows that no matter what your background or where you come from if you want to get involved in European politics you can and if you want to have a positive impact and make a change you can as well. So we hope you enjoy the chat, that you find it as fascinating as we did, and that you take the same sort of inspiration that we did after hearing us see this story. Hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time. I guess to kick things off, we'll just ask a few questions. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and I guess how you became involved in European politics? Well, I came from, from quite far, I must say. I never thought I would one day join European politics or sit in the European Parliament when I was growing up in a, a tiny village in Burkina Faso. I saw running water and electricity when I was uh, uh, yeah, 15 or 16, the first time that we came actually in the city. Before that, we were fetching water on the well and carrying it on our heads. Only the girls, not the boys. My mom was staying at home and was working in trade in little things. So I was kind of working for her as a kid. And my dad is a teacher. So when I was a kid, I've been very curious, willing always to get the answers for things. And also very rebellious because I was having only male siblings. When I came, where I came from, women are learning how to become a wife and boys are learning how to lead the world. But it didn't look very exciting for, for me. So I think what helped me make my mind and really want to participate in society was, first of all, to have the right to exist for myself and to be my own person. That was my first fight. But I was not aware it was a fight for some other people, too. First, I just knew my own experience and it did, did not feel exciting because I could observe the difference of treatment between boys and girls and between men and women. See my dad enjoying life, having a beer uh, when it was 40 degrees and my mom, regardless of the temperature, being in the kitchen and I had to be with her. I saw myself becoming her later. It was very, very scary. So my first revolution was to get myself alive. So I focused on studying and I looked for answers. But I was asking a lot of questions. Since I didn't get all the questions from the adults, I started reading a lot. And I read anything my dad was reading, as long as it was not forbidden. <laughs> and at the end, I uh, even read everything that was forbidden too, when nobody was watching. And at the end, I became very much involved in literature. Until I discovered Simone de Beauvoir when I was a teenager. And I found out that what I was experiencing is a universal thing. I'm not crazy. There are plenty of people around the world who also want a better. And that inspiration was also consolidated by the president that we had then when I was a kid. It was President Thomas Ankara. And he always said, you need to do better than your parents. You need to be a person who is proud of himself, 
or herself when you look back at your actions. So he was empowering the youth to become better people. So it just helped me consolidate the fact that I could mean something, not only for my own life, but also for the society I was living in and also for other women. And this is what really brought me to not be indifferent. Because of that, I met people who also were interested in this kind of issues. And also as a kid, I did have a bad experience too as a girl because I've been genitally mutilated. And that I could also not just accept it as a fact that was happening to me. I questioned it and I wondered why it's happening and how can I help stop it? And I found out it was a taboo topic and there are plenty of girls who underwent it. So how could I stop it? My whole life, I always wanted to stop what is wrong. So I eventually started writing my questions, my thoughts in my own notebook. So my mom still has a lot of books of me. And when I read them today, I sometimes find myself crying or laughing a lot. One example is when I wrote that the big revolution is when no girl is ever going to be married again. I even did not know that marriage can be something that can be happy or that women can become owners of their own homes. I I decided that I want to participate by writing because writing and reading things has changed my own life and understanding of things. I wanted to contribute that way. And this was the only way I found to communicate. I woke up in the morning listening to the French radio. Radio France Internationale with a tiny radio in the village. My dad had one. And I thought, well, I want to do that. So some people are still mad at me in my family because I made them listen to me as a journalist, <laughs> telling all kinds of shitty things when I was a kid, my wooden microphone. <laughs> so I wanted, that was my dream. Eventually, I met a journalist when I was 16 because I, I became editor of the school uh, newspaper. So I went to the, to the capital to meet a journalist called Norbert Zongo. I thought, well, if I talk to him, he will teach me how to become a writer, a published writer, and how to become a journalist. His newspaper was called The Independent, Freedom to Think and Freedom to Inform. So I went there and I stood outside the, 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 the building until he came out and I rushed to him and I said, hi, I am a Seta. I want to talk to you. And I was like, okay, why? <laughs> so I explained to him, I want to become a writer like yourself and I need to talk to you to find out how to do that. And I need to talk to you. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Can you come back tomorrow at 12? So I went there to the next day. He was almost three hours late and he came and I explained to him and showed him things that I was writing. And he called my dad and said, she is really good. She has a lot of talent. You can support her. And if you need me, I will always help. And he uh, gave me some advice, gave me an interview for my uh, school newspaper and we became friends. We met regularly, talked about freedom. And then two years later, I saw in the news that he died, that he was killed. But the news said he died by accident. But I knew he was killed and everyone knew he was killed. Uh, together with three people who were traveling with him, they were killed in a car and they were burned in the car. And he was recognized because of his wedding ring. That is how they found out. And months before that, he was investigating corruption in the government. So that was very shocking. And that marked the start of my political involvement. I realized that I don't only need to participate to learn how to denounce things and how to write about them, but I also needed to help actually concretely lead. So I said, I want people to have their voice heard. And I started the youth movement did some speeches and my first political deed was related to this assassination and requesting justice, separation of power, freedom of speech, and understanding why democracy is important for each of us. And then there was a huge meeting with plenty of people speaking about freedom. But in that meeting, 
only adults who spoke, mainly men. So I stepped in at the end and I said, can I speak? So I jumped on a chair and I spoke to the crowd and I said, the youth need to speak up. We are the majority of this country and this is about our future. And I called the youth of Burkina Faso to unite and to fight back and to ask the president to find himself a new job. And then it was in the headlines and I got mails from, from all the country, from youth who wanted to engage. That's how I started. I forgot to say my name and they called me the girl from the crowd and that became my surname. So that is how it all began. And I never stopped since then being active in politics. And I want to study journalism. And I left eventually because it became too dangerous for me. I came to Europe through friends to the Netherlands. And then I met my husband who is Belgian. And then fast forward, I found myself in Belgium and I became very depressed because I didn't have anything to fight for until my husband told me, you know, you can also be in politics here, even if you are black and from another country. And he showed me some people who were in government or in parliament. So I went to a shop and I bought all the books about Belgium that I could find and that speak about the structure of this country. And I read them all and I understood nothing. So I told the senior politician who was in the Senate, I don't understand anything about this country. And he told me, don't worry, none of us actually do. <laughs> Just try. And then watching the news, I, I saw that there is also a lot of violence against women here, domestic violence. And this just made me so angry. And I decided to get into politics again here and start to fight for inclusion, for emancipation, and also for international relations to fight conflicts. You can summarize all the commitment in one word. The right for self-determination is the basic of everything that I'm doing. It's a fascinating journey and I suppose one of like real personal development and sort of understanding what you wanted to do. Ultimately, a journey that lands you as a, an MEP. So it's a position that us as Europeans, we all vote for, or at least we should. Um, but I guess it's one that a lot of people don't really know what they do, like the role of an MEP day to day. Could you give us maybe an insight into the role of an MEP, the sort of committees you sit on, the day-to-day -day work? Yes, sure. I I think um, the, the role of an MEP, you can conceive it as very technical or you can make it very simple. I, I think that my, my goal in politics is to change people's minds, to help change people's minds, to help change the law, to help improve the law. So what I do in parliament, the committees I sit in, I choose them also to match what I wanted to change in society. So I'm in my first committee is the, the Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs Committee. It's about fundamental rights. It's about fighting crime. It's about having a better migration policy. And it's about uh, everything that is related um, to uh, the, the implementation of the laws on the right way. So it is uh, something that is matching what I, what I wanted. And then I, I'm also in the committees of foreign affairs because I believe that global aspect, global perspective and global balance is very important. And inside the Committee for Foreign Affairs, I am also a member of the DROA Committee, which is focusing on human rights abroad, whereas Libya is more human rights inside the country, and the Security and Defense Committee. There is a connection between different committees to focus on human rights, the right to self-determination, and how to make the world a better place, actually looking at all that. And you can't solve problems inside Europe without looking at what is happening outside Europe. So inside the Foreign Affairs Committee and Security and Defense, I focus mainly on the issue with Russia, the issue with China and human rights there, 
uh, I work currently on the Uyghur rights. When we want a trade agreement with China, we need to focus on human rights. I do want trade. I come from the private sector myself. I've been a manager in private sector, but I also do want human rights. Both are not mutually exclusive. We need to take them together. I focus on the Sahel matter because the Islamic State is growing there. In Ethiopia, where currently these week reports are saying that there is a lot of rape crimes used as weapons of uh, during that war over there. So these are things that I'm proposing as urgencies for the next plenary, for example. And it's very fascinating how much you can actually put on the agenda here. As a MEP, you will always be frustrated to not be able to change tiny concrete laws at national level, but you can influence the change and help bring it. And this is what I am very happy doing. Um, of course, you do this in the parliament, but you also do it with your constituency. It's, it's about the people. Politics is about the people. It's not about the mountain of papers that we can produce here. It's about how we concretely influence and change the lives. So I, in my first year in parliament, I succeeded in having the parliament adopt a resolution on ending FGM, but it was meant to be a strategy which has almost never happened before, to have a real strategy. And this, the Commissioner for Women's Rights took aspects of my proposal into her uh, work, and we are going to follow up on that. So I like to achieve concrete things. When uh, Charles Michel went to Ankara and left Ursula von der Leyen standing, the sofa gate, it did make me very angry. My fight in politics has been for women to be able to speak up. I could imagine myself standing in this situation because this is what we experience in politics. So fighting for women emancipation and for participation for youth, for better communication from here to the people is very important. So I spend a lot of time doing what I'm doing right now, speaking to people about what we are doing here and that we can learn from the people and even do better. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Your story is really incredible to listen to. As you mentioned, you're passionate about involving more women in politics, particularly in top level positions. And you also founded your own organization with this mission. How do you think we can encourage more women into politics and strive for equality in an arena that has been historically dominated by men? Well, I, I think the first thing that we should do is to know that this is not a fight only for women to, uh, to fight. It's a fight for women and for all the men who stand with us, and there are plenty of them. Second, I think we should celebrate the fact that we have the vote and we were not force-fed like the suffragettes who even sometimes had to throw themselves under a running horse to get us the vote. We need to celebrate having this vote and having the right to participate to elections. This is a fact that has not always been like that and we need to be grateful. If we are not, we will never understand the value of that. Because it's easy for us, we can vote. It was not like that for everyone. That's the second thing. A third thing is that we need to know that we are fantastic, all of us. That no one, because he does have another gender, um, biological situation, has actually extra qualities. This is what we need to tell ourselves. And I, I know it's very hard because I also sometimes failed to convince myself that I'm also great. If we doubt ourselves, then we can never succeed. So my work has been focusing first on being grateful for that and empowering ourselves first and daring to go for the, for the fight. And if you, if you feel like you're scared, 
it's okay. Who is not? I'm also scared every day. If you start having a life where you're doing things you are not scared doing, then it means that you are in your comfort zone and you have stopped growing. So if you're scared, tell someone. I do also call friend CEOs or friends politicians, even here in Parliament and say, I am so scared about this. I'm so worried about this. I'm not so sure. And what can we talk about this? Tell, tell your friends, tell someone. So this is what we don't do enough. And, you know, with this, through this conversation, you will feel better and have the tools to do it. And one other thing to do is speak up. When you experience something that is not acceptable, that is hurting you, speak up. There will always be someone who will say, it's because you're too sensitive. It's because you're too cool. Too, you're not cool. It's because you don't have the sense of humor. Oh, we're just pulling your leg. Don't accept. It's your right to have that feeling that you're hurt. And if you are feeling it, then it's true. My dad always told me, don't change your, your topic or your fight. Change who you are speaking with. Find people with whom the conversation is feeling that is empowering you. People who pull you down, stop, go to, another, go to knock at another door. And I think that's so important. And with my uh, uh, political incubator, I wanted to share, so help women share their stories. So that each of us know that it's not like a single story. It's happening to so many. When you know that, it makes you much stronger. And when the sofa gate happened, it's illustrating what happened. The harassment online is also all the time a fact. But because too many women don't speak up and pretend to be strong, like the most immune you are to this kind of violence, uh, the, the less you are, you are contributing, actually, to help empower women. So I encourage women in leadership also to speak up and to share that. That will help. And we are intending soon to make um, something online to uh, go on uh, with a podcast, a recurrent one with this and share stories uh, to target um, women and teenagers who want actually to change and have their voice heard. But how you fight is also very important. After you fought, you need to still be proud of yourself. So you need to choose an elegant way to fight. When I see from the lane like this, I think I know for sure if I was in uh, Ankara, Charles Michel and Erdogan would still be scared today. I am very wild in that. <laughs> As you should be. I, I think that's completely the right message to be sending out that if you don't stand up for yourself, probably no one else will. And you have to come together with like-minded people and to really fight for what you believe in and to form those alliances with different people. I'd like to ask you about your views on diversity in the European Parliament and how you feel the Parliament is faring and reflecting the different ethnic groups that we have in Europe. Is it accurate? Is it extremely lacking? Do we see change and progress on the horizon? What do you think? Well, I, I, I would like to say two things. First, on your, on your, on your comment about uh, the empowerment, I would say we need to indeed speak to like-minded people. But my advice would also be to speak to people who are not like-minded, but not about our dreams, just about the challenges that they impose to us. I see them as a source of information. People who attack you or your enemies, they are teaching you what you need to improve to even reach a broader audience. And you can help that. You can use that as a training for debates and for all kinds of things, but don't spend too much time with them because otherwise they will just uh, contaminate you with the bad energy, <laughs> I would say. Um, regarding diversity in, uh, in, in the parliament, when I look at diversity in politics, I look more at um, uh, diversity in terms of how we solve issues. 
and how everyone who has the passion, who wants to solve an issue, whether the person is white or black, a man or a woman, they need to be able to get to join politics instead of staying outside and participate actively. So the most important thing is to fight and get election and get elected. I mean, nobody else can do it for you. When you are running for elections, if you get elected, it's thanks to yourself. If you don't get elected painfully enough, it's also thanks to yourself. And I have experienced both situations. And you can learn or you can sit and cry. So I would say, instead of staying outside and complaining, it's just join politics and fight for the seat. So in that perspective, I think everyone can. Luckily, we live in democracies where everyone can participate to elections. Um, I, I believe that what I've missed in the parliament is a lack of diversity more in approach and political style. It's just people can be very, very boring. I'm just very sorry to be blunt on that. But I'm like, politics is exciting. Why don't you make it something that young people want to join and listen to about? I mean, you know, we need to bring the passion back. And when you have good ideas and when you sell them well, then you can get elected. So it's very, very democratic and very inclusive. You cannot be elected to become a CEO. I am even in Belgium, the first person of color who is elected in European Parliament. And it's not because I'm a person of color. It's just because I run and campaigned a lot. I, um, I earned more than 85,000 votes in a very tiny Flanders, which is, and I was in the top 10 of the uh, preferential votes hit parade. So running for the first time and all the people who were before me were people who have been ministers in government, in cabinet, or who were number one on the list and one European commissioner. So it was important for me to get the votes because then you are legitimate in your party. And how do you get the votes? People don't give their votes for free. You need to go to them and speak to them. I went everywhere. I spent three months like this after the campaign, having pain in my feet. I walked so much, spoke to so many people. I still remember their names and their stories. You need to have that connection. I think it's a relationship with your voters and you need to nurture it and keep it. And you need to do what, what you promised them that you're going to do or at least try very hard and go back to them. Yeah, I think on that note, what really stands out about you and the way you speak is that you are so passionate and you are so connected to your constituency and you haven't lost the personal element. You're not just out there with your own agenda. You really are passionate about fighting for change and representing your people properly, which is probably something that a lot of EU citizens aren't aware of, that there are MEPs out there like you who are absolutely passionate about change and want to make politics something exciting and something interesting, especially for younger people. I'd like to ask you what advice you might give to young people who are also passionate about social change and are interested in European fairs and might like to get involved in EU politics. I would say they should do what you guys are doing right now. Reach out and talk to, to members of parliament. When there is no coronavirus, just drop in during the plenary, harass us, find us in the corridor and come and talk to us. And we have to discuss when you have very good ideas that need to be on the agenda. Why don't you just ask a map? Hey, I have this idea. Can you please, do you think it can be something that can be on the agenda? And I would like this situation to change because as a young person, this is something that I experienced. I would look at that and if it's a good idea, I would use it and I would involve you. If it's not really a good idea, I would also congratulate you. I mean, I have like a lot of bad ideas too. My assistant advised me to keep a secret notebook for the, for, for the twist I never dare to send out. <laughs> So everyone do, you know, I mean, so just 
MIPS are just normal people, um, people who are leading the world are just normal people who have more courage to try and make more mistakes. So just try. And if you convince someone, it will work. If you don't convince someone, you just had at least experience. So <laughs> drop in uh, in the parliament whenever I, I am anyway uh, available. And don't forget to be friends with the assistants. I think that's really brilliant advice to actually come up to you and talk to you and reach out and to really put your ideas out there. And the worst thing you can do is they don't accept them. They don't go anywhere. But at least you've tried and you've tried to make contact with the people who are in power. Uh, and finally, we'd like to ask our recurring question, is, which is, what do you think the biggest challenge is for the EU in the next decade? And do you think that they can tackle it? Well, I'm going to be uh, sarcastic. I think one of the biggest challenges of the EU is to find out what the job of Borel is. I mean, I'm wondering. <laughs> if nobody knows, maybe we should just cut it off. <laughs> So we can at least know who is doing EU foreign policy. Uh, since von der Leyen and Charles Michel seem to think that they are the ones. And uh, apparently it ended up being Erdogan and Putin uh, making us look ridiculous. I think one of the biggest challenges of the EU is to win back its credibility, not only towards its own voters, our own voters, but also towards the international community. Because when you look at that, I saw Charles Michel complaining and saying that he didn't sleep enough. So I am going to be sarcastic again. One slept long enough in the European Commission and the European Council. Now it's time to wake up and to actually do things. Uh, also, the victim is women in politics and the European Union, not the men who actually acted like this. <laughs> so I, I think when um, when Putin or China or Turkey looked at look look at us, they are not scared. We don't know where we are going. At least the citizens know, the maps know, but the commission and the council need to listen better. So credibility is all of it. We need to increase our bargaining power by being credible, by knowing where we are going, by being firm, by being blunt, by being organized and by being strong internally. This is what the EU should do. If we don't start there, nobody is going to listen to the European Union and the world is going to continue geopolitically building itself without us. Thank you. Thank you so much for that answer. I think whoever's listening to this, I'm hoping that they're going to take on board what you said as well. But obviously you're in the European Parliament fighting for that as well at the same time. Uh, I would really love to thank you for taking the time to speak to us. We are very honoured to have you on our podcast. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure. Thank you all also very much. 